0: Hello and welcome to Can I Ask You a Personal Question with Will and Dan. This week, Dan and Will speak to Sir Vince Cable, a former member of Parliament who led the Liberal Democrat Party from 2017 to 2019. Sir Vince has been a part of politics since his university days and worked as business secretary during the Lib Dem coalition with the Conservative Party in 2010. If you're enjoying our podcast, please let us know by leaving a review and a five-star rating. Here's the podcast. Enjoy!
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, look, we've only got two minutes for our pre-chat, so we better make sure it's short, spicy, and entertaining.
0: Yeah, entertain me.
2: Okay, well, um, <laughs> perhaps I oh, can yes. make a start. Who are we speaking to this week?
0: Sir Vince Cable. What? Sir Vince you might, Cable? You might say, he's not an entrepreneur. I'd say, yes, I've subtly... Um, I've subtly rebranded the website, The sorry, I've subtly rebranded the podcast as a podcast for entrepreneurs and leaders. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it'd be quite interesting and maybe quite useful. He's also, he's involved in a few businesses. He's he's about to start a podcast. Really? We can exclusively reveal, I think, maybe. He told me, yeah. What's it about? We're an entrepreneur, actually. Um, maybe we should get her on. Um, What's it about? I don't know. We can ask him. Um, cool.
2: Well, that's the that's the line of questioning sorted then.
0: Yeah. So he said to me, yeah, he's doing it with um, Priya Lakhani, who Priya is Lakhani. Uh, an ed tech entrepreneur. She looks quite interesting. Um, cool. Yeah. He's starting it in the new year, so that's interesting. And um, yeah, he does have some business interests. He also used to work in the business world. He was the chief economist for Shell. Before um, entering Parliament, Right. I think yeah he had several. I mean, obviously I've been doing some research into him, and um, <laughs> as is my want. Well, thank thanks very much for for joining us, Vince. Do you prefer to be called Vince or Sir Vince?
1: Vince uh, is fine.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you do any do, do you get to many people call you Sir Vince? Because I, I guess that's. Um, People well, knew... it tends
1: to be sort of older people who are rather old-fashioned, or you <laughs> yeah. know, young people who are somewhat intimidated, feel they're yeah. polite, so, um, but most people who I know and work with have no problem um, with single names. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> um, wonder which okay.
2: one of those two categories you fall into, Will. Yeah. Well, I'll call you Vince. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so you're from York originally, is that right?
1: Yeah, um, um, yeah. So I, I was there for the first sort of eighteen, twenty years of my life. Went to a local, mm. local grammar school. Yeah, and uh, my parents were factory workers when I was young, but they were very upwardly mobile and ambitious. Uh, my father, particularly. And we gradually progressed from the terrace house with the outside bath to a semi-detached house to a detached house. I mean, you know, the progression through the uh, English middle class. Um, And by the time I'd left home, you know, I suppose they were fairly well established in York society. But we started with humble beginnings.
0: Mm. And so and and you experienced that change from, from the humble beginnings to to the more middle-class side of York in your, as you grew up.
1: Yes, uh, I, I think so. But I I, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't claim to be sort of from the depressed working class or anything. I mean, it was fairly comfortable. We enjoyed the, you know, rising prosperity of the 1950s, you know, cars, telephones, refrigerators, washing machines came in a fairly steady succession. And, uh, I'd I'd pass the eleven plus. I mean there's a story there of course, but and was part of the you know, the meritocratic um generation who were destined to go off to university and do do such things.
0: So you went to grammar school, Cambridge, um and then you, you went into the, the world of business, I suppose, broadly. You, you went to work in Kenya and lots of other far flung. Oh, locations. Kenya wasn't
1: business. It was I was mm. working for the finance ministry, the treasury. Um mm. You know, so I was ludicrously overpromoted. It was just that there was a shortage of people staffing the post-independence government. And I was given a very, you know, responsible job for which I was totally unqualified, negotiating aid and uh, overseeing big, big projects. Um, and that was two to three years. How old um, were you at the time? I was twenty, twenty-three, 23, I think. Wow. And just had a first first degree. I mean, I hadn't even done a master's, so my economics wasn't all that smart either. But it was it was you know university of life experience. It was very good for me, uh, if not for Kenya. <laughs> uh, but I, so you learnt,
0: I, so you 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 kind of learnt um, economics on the on the job then, which I guess no, is quite yeah. quite yeah.
1: rare. I also met a lovely woman who I married, and uh, well, I had I'd, I'd met her previously in England, but. Um, I got married there and a lot of my life was um, tied up with establishing, you know, personal relationships. But, yeah, the professional side was was great. And I love Kenya and I've got in-laws there now. So I, you know, go back occasionally.
0: And um, so you were there for three years. What um, what did you do after that? I mean, you worked in lots of different well, places. Well,
1: I went to Glasgow University, offered me a lectureship. Again, they were rather different from today. You know, you have to have PhDs and you get a, a contract rather than a job. But in those days, um, it was fairly easy to walk into tenured um, lectureship roles. And I, I I went to Glasgow for six years, um, did my PhD while I was teaching and researching Um Uh, And I suppose actually most of my time in Glasgow was spent in politics, I got involved in labour politics in the city, became a councillor, and was involved running the city, which was actually much more absorbing than than doing university research. So it was another kind of growing up stage. Uh, I had a 20-year career in Parliament but I was already starting when a lot of people are retiring so uh, it was seeing politics in a slightly different way from many people who go into Parliament as their first or second job and whose ambition is to climb up the greasy pole. I have no expectations of doing that.
0: Yeah so I guess uh, how old were you when you When you entered Parliament, and you tried a a few times before before you yeah it was my fifth
1: fifth attempt actually Um, and there was almost thirty years between when I first stood and I got in so I I, I suppose I was rewarded to some extent for patience Um, but it's it's a complicated story I won't go into it but I'd stood in York uh, a couple of times for the Liberal SDP Alliance. I had stood in Glasgow um, and I'd stood in Twickenham before I finally got in. One of the aspects of being an MP, which is probably not fully understood, it's rather like being self-employed. It, it, you know, I'd come out of a big multinational company, and you're part of a hierarchy. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're on your own. I mean, you've got to hire staff, um, manage your own accounts, um, and you know, you're accountable to the people who voted for you. Uh, but otherwise you're very much on your own. I mean in Parliament you're subject to a party whip, but you can disregard that, um in in extremists. But it it is very much like being a self employed person. Mm.
0: What um what 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 did you learn in what I mean if you had to pick out one thing that you learned from from being an mp a, a self-employed mp um that you think could be useful for for people leading businesses more generally is there anything that, that would stick out in your mind
1: um well i th- i think two things really i mean wh- one is that you you really do have to invest in a in a good team you know i've seen so many cases of colleagues whose uh, political work at Westminster fell apart because they didn't have good staff. Um, And because you're operating a fairly small team, would say three or four people in the constituency and a couple of people at Westminster, you've got to have the right people. And I was lucky or I probably learned something in life, but I was fortunate enough to have a really good, loyal and professional group of people. And that, you know, that helped me to function. But there were others who had enormous turnover of staff, um, disloyalty, people who ran with gossip stories and all the rest of it. But so so having having a very good hiring policy for your core staff is absolutely fundamental. That was rubbed into me subsequently when I became a minister too. But as an MP, it's the first thing. And I think the second is that it's very easy when you're an MP to be an expert in everything and actually in nothing. So you have to develop one or two um, areas of competence and where you're listened to with some respect. And I as well suppose as I concentrate on economic policy, finance, built up a certain reputation during the banking crisis. Um, and there are one or two other issues like policing that I got into. But I think you you have to, you have to learn how to specialise intelligently. Otherwise, you're, you're dissipating a lot of effort.
2: Mm. So if uh, becoming an MP is like finding yourself as a self-employed person, almost similar to running a small business, what does the transition feel like when you become a minister and start? Does it feel like you're still running that small business? or oh, no, how,
1: Absolutely horrific contrast. <laughs> um, literally within a day... You're going from an operation where you're responsible for five or six people in my case to where I was responsible directly for four thousand and indirectly for I think quarter of a million. Um, and you know your private office, in my case, was about five or six civil servants and dozens of other people, you know, who I was having to deal with on a daily basis. So you're dealing with a massive operation, certainly not all ministers the same, but if you're a department like mine, or um, DCLG, local government, or welfare, um, you know, these are very, very big operations, and you're having to deal with large numbers of people and get your head around a lot of very complex issues very quickly. Um, No, it's a a completely new experience, and I, I, I don't think I'm the only one who was wholly unprepared for it and had to learn very quickly on the job.
0: I guess the chances of you becoming a government minister at some point must have been quite remote. Um, but obviously, the, the way the 2010 election turned out that happened, um, can you talk us through um, the, the period in which you realised that you were going to become a government minister and, and how you came to work to, to take on the business role. Because like you say, you ideally, I mean, it sounded like you favoured a, a role within the Treasury. How, how did that all unfold?
1: Well, it was quite a complicated story. Uh, I, I mean, you're right, until quite close to the 2010 election, I don't think anybody expected the Lib Dems to be in government. Um, and if we were, I think the assumption was we'd be working with the Labour Party because there'd been quite a lot of tactical collaboration going back to the Tony Blair, Paddy Ashdown days. But probably three months out from the 2010 election, it became clear that we might be holding the balance of power, and the first awful thought started dawning on people that we might finish up working with Messrs Cameron and Osborne, which was not a, essentially it's a sort of centre-left party and not a conservative party, and certainly I was that way inclined. And the prospect wasn't something regarded with great relish, but... Um, when the election came, and we got the result um it was clear there was no alternative i mean, I personally spent quite a lot of time exploring a coalition with Jordan Brown. I knew him quite well, got on well with him um but it was the numbers were not there um and it wouldn't have been possible to form a stable government with any other configuration other than the Lib Dems and conservatives working together. So uh, I wasn't happy about it. A lot of my colleagues weren't happy about it, but we accepted the political logic of the situation and agreed to do the coalition. And we prepared this coalition agreement uh, based on policy. It was remarkably easy actually, but um, then there was the hard bit of, of actually governing. In terms of my own position, um I suppose if I thought I was ever going to get into government, the job I really wanted to do was being Chancellor of the Exchequer, but that wasn't realistic. I mean, there there were six Tories to every one Lib Dem, and you know they weren't going to give a job to one of the top four jobs to uh, me. Um, so I had to accept that it was. I, I could see trouble coming because uh, it was very clear that in the business department because we had higher education and all these awful problems around university funding and fees were coming down the track. And I did discuss with Nick Clegg at the time, look, you know, we're going to have trouble here if you put me in that department. Um, And we knew there was a train crash coming, but, you know, we had to get on with it. And uh, actually, the main part of the job initially was preparing for the first round of spending cuts uh, because of the extreme kind of budget crisis that we inherited.
0: So how did you, um, the, the process of you becoming um, Business Secretary, was that um, was that David Cameron or, or Nick Clegg? No, no, or... no. The
1: appointments within the coalition were decided by the uh, heads of the two parties. So uh, basically Nick Clegg decided who the Lib Dem ministers would be and what jobs they'd have and Cameron did the same for his people, and there'd been an agreement between the two of them about how the jobs would be divided up. Um, no, it, I, I, Cameron was never my boss. I mean, I had you know, relatively little dealing with him, actually, on a personal level. I had to work quite a lot with George Osborne because we, we had overlapping interests in banking and economic policy. Um, but no, I, essentially, Nick Clegg was um, <clears throat> the person I reported to. We obviously
2: know that um, yourself and George Osborne had and presumably still have very different um, political and economic views, but what was the working relationship like on a day-to-day basis? Was it productive?
1: Actually, it was was very good. I mean, he's a, actually found him good company and he wasn't sort of pompous. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd found in the debates before the election that I was wasn't too impressed didn't have much economic knowledge etc i felt I suppose a bit superior but i think when i had to deal with him in the government uh, i recognized that he had real he had a very good political brain uh, a very smart guy actually um, and of course he was effectively co prime minister with with cameron and they they operated as a duo so you know we had to deal with him um so you know we had regular meetings; they were always amicable. I mean, you know, I had policy disagreements, but they weren't personal disagreements. Mm.
0: Okay. Um, so, I, so after after those five years, you, um, you, uh, two thousand and fifteen election um, came. Um, what was what was that that experience like after five years in in government to uh, to then go th- go through the 2015
1: election? Well, it was abs- an absolute disaster. I mean, the, mm. I had full, long since fallen out with Nick about the campaign. Um, he was campaigning for another coalition. I thought that was a disaster. And we needed to be striking out on our own. But anyway, that's w- w- the way we went into the election. Uh, the t- The Tories were determined to get rid of us. And they did so in a very ruthless and very effective way by saying, um, you know, if you don't vote for, for us, you'll get Miliband and the SNP. Um, and lots of my constituents bought that argument as and they, they did it right across the you know the Lib Dem team. We started with 56 MPs, we finished up with eight. And the main reason there was there were quite a lot of kind of tactical labor tactical voters who switched out of Annoyance with the coalition, but the main reason we were defeated was because the Tories uh, ruthlessly um, cut away the the, you know, the basis of our support, and I was one of the casualties. Um, it was was quite a humbling and extremely unhappy experience. But as, as you know, within a couple of years, um, unexpectedly, there was another election, and I got a chance to come back again.
0: Mm. Um, and just um, going back slightly, but um, so your disagreement with with Nick Clegg. I mean, I get a similar question to the George Osborne one, I suppose. But um, was that a personal thing, or was that purely um, professional um, falling out, as it were?
1: Well, the, the, this, it, it was. I, I think mainly professional. You know, we we're both we we're both grown up people. Um, but I disagreed from the earlier part of the coalition about certain key elements in economic policy. I thought we should be doing much more public investment. Um, people rather lazily use this word austerity, but but actually that there are aspects of austerity that are more sensible than others. And cutting back on public investment and infrastructure has been a terrible idea, and I opposed it from the outset. Whereas Nick Clegg and Danny, who was our man in the Treasury, um, you know, supported the Treasury view, uh, and I disagree with it. Um, and I think later in the coalition there was an argument about whether we should stay through the five years. And there was an argument for that, continuity, delivering, etc., or whether we should get out six months beforehand or whatever and campaign as Liberal Democrats. Um, and, and, you know, we we just disagreed on that. And actually, we, we went into the election in a very weak position with very few political defences.
0: You're doing lots of things in your post-politics um, life, and I, I suppose you, um, it'd be good to know what's taking up most of your time currently, you've got your podcast coming up, but I imagine lots of other things going on as well.
1: Well, I have a regular column in The Independent once a week. Um, I've been writing books. I've got a big book, Money and Power, coming out in February, which is about leading political figures in modern history who influenced the way we do economics. So everybody from... Alexander Hamilton and Peel through Bismarck to Lenin, to Roosevelt, to Mrs. Thatcher, to Deng Xiaoping. Uh, It's a bit of a potpourri that I think a reasonably good book. And I have also more recently got heavily involved in work on China. I'd got, it was one of the things I did in government was building up the relationship with China. So I, I wrote this short book China Engage, which has proved very controversial, and um, a lot of people love it, others hate it, um, and it's got me in the middle of quite a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing a, 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 a it's not an autobiography, but I'm writing an account of the last 10 years, going over a lot of the history you've been asking about, the coalition yeah. years, and subsequently. And what the way I'm writing it is partly as a kind of personal record of what happened. I've got an extensive collection of cuttings, uh, and my wife, Rachel, um, is interpolating it with her own diary records. Now, it's not a kind of Sasha Squire um, nasty venomous piece of gossip, but but it does give a personal angle on what would otherwise perhaps be a rather dry political track. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm flying through that too you prefer
0: Boris Johnson or Donald Trump
1: um well I, th- I think i actually preferred Trump I mean it's appalling character but you know was, you know you know where you are you know he's um he's not a chameleon you know constantly changing in response to uh, shifts of opinion but you know ha- had a very clearly defined view of the world and expressed it um it's a pretty awful choice but you know. yeah <laughs>
2: I feel like there's a lot of follow-ups that we could ask on that, but it's probably not in the spirit of the quick fire round. So I'll go on. Yeah, for, but you did, uh, Um
0: you did refuse to go to that to the to the, the Trump um, state dinner, didn't you, last year? So does that mean you? Yeah, that I've,
1: I've, to go? I've, written, I've written on Trumponomics in this book on yeah. money and power as well. Yeah. Looking forward to this book, definitely. <laughs> does that mean you wouldn't go to
0: dinner with Boris Johnson then?
1: No, 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 that's no, no. no, I haven't mean, actually. I got on reasonably well with Johnson. Actually.
0: Okay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry, that was
0: not in the spirit of the quick fire. Dan,
1: please.
2: <laughs> um, what was your lowest moment in your career?
1: Well, I think probably well, the, one was personal and the other was career. I mean, I lost my wife actually in 2001. And in terms of life experience, that was almost certainly the worst period. Um, but politically, I, I suppose the defeat in 2015 was, was pretty awful, but I, I did recover from that. Um, and I think the early days of the coalition, I had um, problems with Mr. Murdoch, if you may remember, mm. which we recovered from, but were pretty mm. nasty at the time.
0: Mm. Um, do you prefer tea or coffee
1: tea i don't mind a coffee latte but um tea is, is, is i keep me going through the day
2: okay I'll, uh, I'll ask the opposite to my last one what was your highest point in your career
1: um well actually getting elected to parliament in the first place it sounds quite modest but um i you know i never thought it would happen um i was heading for Kind of retirement and a reasonably well-paid job in a multinational company, and you know, getting into Parliament then starting a political career in my 50s was was definitely a high point.
0: Mm. Do you ever have any regrets about not um, about not just retiring at 60 and? Um,
1: no, no, it... I'm I'm, I'm glad I've kept going, um, and I don't I don't consider myself retired. I, you, you, you know, I give you a list of things I do. Well, I, yeah. two hours two hours every day. Actually, I spend walking and cycling, and then I keep very fit, and my wife and I do a lot of uh, very physical things.
2: Um, do you have a favourite uh, film or book?
1: Yes, I read extensively, I'm sort of Scandinavian noir, I'm very much into it at the moment. Um, uh, films I'm watching, the you know, the Thursday evening BBC4 series, all the film greats. I think Casablanca was an absolutely wonderful film. Um,
0: Okay. And um, just the final question, Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? You can pick at which which age you give the advice to.
1: Well, I think if I was, you know, leaving university now and, you know, not really quite sure what I wanted to do, um, I I think the advice is to be persistent and not give up. Um, You know, advice I always give to young students is that the best qualification to be a successful politician is stamina. It's not intelligence or eloquence. I mean, they obviously help, um, but actually, you—you—it's the stamina to keep going when things are things are difficult.
2: What a guy! What did you think of that, Will?
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a bit of a bit of a bit of a change from usual infuse, wasn't it? Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but I mean lots of, I mean lots lots in there.
2: He was very uh humble academic intelligent seeming. He wasn't out to score any points. He just seemed to like be honest and direct. I thought it was, it was yeah. a bit
0: different from uh He wasn't really so a lecturer, was he either. He just he did just wait for us to ask our questions which was which put a bit of pressure yeah. on us. But it was also quite good for the interviewer as well.
2: I guess unlike some of our other guests, he's not uh, out to promote a certain message or product or story. No. He's just here to have a good time. He's just here because he likes us. He's just here to party.